Good morning. And I would say happy Father's Day, too. Fathers are important in the whole scheme of life in more ways than one. And I hope that your, your loved ones today will give you exactly what you want from, uh, for today, for Father's Day. Us girls, my two sisters, Terry and Jan, this is our first Father's Day without our daddy. We've all talked about how much we miss him and his goofy, quirky humor and ways and the things he did and said were just so fun and enjoyable and he didn't even realize he was fun and enjoyable, but he was and we missed him, we loved him. Today we're going to continue our study on why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And this won't be nearly as long as last week, so you can relax. <laughs> we won't hold you uh, nearly as long as we did last week. And we will save plenty of time at the end for any questions, any discussion, any comments you want to make. I do encourage you, and I won't forget this time, to uh, include that. And last week, I probably gave you at least half the scriptures in the Bible, and I won't be doing that again today either. But I hope it was a blessing to you. I hope with my whole heart that it meant something to you, because it did to me. I also want to say that this, is, this position that I'm taking on behalf of the church is what the church has believed, my, this church has believed, my entire life but it is my personal opinion, and you're welcome to yours. If it differs from mine, that's your prerogative to do so. But I'm pretty sure mine's right, <laughs> if I can say that. There are extra handouts here on the podium here. If you didn't get any last week, you can um, get them today. And I do want to just do a quick review of the six reasons that I gave last week on why I believe in the uh, pre-tribulation rapture of the church. But let's pray first. Father, we just ask your continued blessing and anointing upon this matter and this important subject today. God, I pray that our hearts would be listening. We listen with our ears to hear words, oh God, but we listen with our spirits to hear the words of God spoken in the spirit and spoken through the word as well. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quickly, the first of the reasons was comforting doctrine. You remember that Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, to watch and pray and to be comforted with these words was Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. And that the, uh, the um, pre-tribulation rapture of the church follows that admonition, the comforting doctrine. God has not appointed the church to wrath, is number two, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross on our behalf. Number three, 
God consistently delivers his believing people from Genesis to Revelation out of their tribulations. 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations or tribulations, as that word is translated. And number four, the tribulation period is a very defined timeline of seven years. We know the starting point because it's when the Antichrist signs the peace agreement with Israel. And the Bible teaches opposite of that. Mark 13, 32, 33. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, and not even the Son of God himself, but only the Father. And likewise, it's meant for a very defined people. The, I believe that the Bible teaches against the church going through the tribulation period. And uh, number five, Daniel three, the fiery furnace. There were three Hebrews thrown into the furnace signifying what was to come. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked king, had made a golden image for them to bow down and worship, which we know the Antichrist will do the same. And anyone who doesn't will be killed. And Nebuchadnezzar tried to do that to these three Hebrews, but God delivered them out of his hand. And six, num uh, number six, finally, uh, Enoch, a type of the New Testament church, was raptured at 365 years old. He walked with God, and the Bible says he was no more. He was gone before God wiped out the world with the flood. He took out Enoch by rapture, and he saved Noah and his family to propagate the world again through the ark of safety. So for those reasons, and I told you that there, was a, there are many reasons, but those were some of the strongest ones. And today, the seventh reason I told you was too long for last week, and yet I, I had to include it. So today, we're going to talk about the seventh reason why I believe this. God has a bride. Did you know that? God the Father has a bride. He instituted marriage himself. And the Bible is full of references about the fact that he had a wife. Not a single woman, of course, not like a human wife. But the nation of Israel was God's wife or is God's wife. And I just want to uh, share two quick examples of this. One found in Jeremiah 3.14, Return to me, O you backsliding people, says the Lord, for I am married to you. Oh, hallelujah. Isaiah 54.5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And as a matter of fact, God was so in love with Israel as the nation of Israel that the central theme of several books of the Bible, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, just a few, are focused on him calling his backsliding wife to return to him. And yet he loved her still 
even after she'd broken his heart, broken the marriage covenant between them, and played the harlot with other gods. The analogy of the bridegroom's father I want to talk about. In ancient times, the father of the groom always chose the bride for the son. And the son would honor his father's choice, and the arrangements for the bride's purchase price would begin. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, that we did not choose him, but we were chosen. Just like the father of the groom chooses the bride for his son, so our father God chose us to be the bride for his son. The bridegroom, 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul said to the church at Corinth, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband. Paul was saying here to this church, I have married you to one husband, Jesus Christ, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ in, in the symbol, symbology of a bride. And Revelation 19.7 says, John wrote these words, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Are you ready this morning? And Ephesians 5.25-27, through 27, Jesus was named as the head of the church, and husbands were admonished to love their wives just as Jesus Christ, the head of the church, loves her and gave himself for it. I actually spoke out of uh, turn there. It, it, the Bible does not refer to the church as a her. It refers to the church as an it and the bride. And that he will present it to himself holy spotless and without blemish. Now the Jewish wedding traditions included the legal marriage arrangement to be sealed with the first of two shared cups of wine, signifying the binding together of the betrothed couple. But both the bride and the groom had a choice in the agreement. If either one did not want to accept the other as their marriage partner, they could choose not to drink from that shared cup, signifying that they had rejected the offer of that partner. When we are confronted with the question of salvation, what do we do about Christ? Our decision to accept or reject him has to be voluntary. We exercise our free will to accept or reject. And if we accept, we thereby denounce all other gods, all other idols, and we remain faithful only to him. Or we reject Christ's offer of love and salvation and we will be cut off from him eternally. 
Now, there's another cup we share. Just as the bride and the groom chose to drink from the shared cup to signify their acceptance of one another, every time we participate, we partake of that communion cup, that cup of the new covenant in the body and the blood of Christ, we recommit our vows to the marriage. The cup of juice that we accept, the symbol of Christ's blood, is poured in this kitchen from a common cup into each individual's cup. So it is considered one cup. Now the bride, pr cr the bride price, I'm getting all tang-tangled here this morning, the bridegroom's father would set the dowry amount or the bride price, which would be based upon his wealth only. Only the groom's father's wealth would be taken into consideration when setting the bride's price. It would be given to the bride's father in payment of the loss of her domestic services, the bride's domestic services that she had previously taken care of around his home. And it had nothing to do, the price had nothing to do with what the status of the bride's father's wealth was. It was based only on the groom's father. Our Father God paid such a high price for this bride to be married to his son. He gave his only begotten son so that he could first free this bride from our sin and then marry her as a clean, pure, virginal bride. How deep the Father's love to pay such a high price and we truly are not our own, but we are bought with a price. The marriage preparations. After the marriage agreement was sealed and the cup of wine was shared, an approximate future time for the marriage was set by the groom's father. It might take place in just a few months or it might be up to one year away. But only the bridegroom's father knew the actual date for the wedding. What an amazing parallel that our Heavenly Father is the only one who knows the exact date and time that Jesus will come in the clouds and bring up his bride to him. Only the Father knew the exact time. The bride's preparation time during this period of betrothal, before the wedding actually took place, the bride remained with her family during this time and prepared herself for the marriage. <clears throat> her family and her friends would give her a bridal party, giving her gifts so that she was equipped with everything she needed to set up housekeeping for her new husband. We're so fortunate that God gave us such wonderful gifts to equip us to be ready for our bridegroom to come. During this time of preparation, the bride would also prepare herself physically for marriage by immersing herself 
in a, in a series of customary baths with different salts and perfumes and uh, balms that she would use to prepare herself. And afterwards, she would, re, she would emerge clean, purified, and ready for her husband. We've been living in this church age now for 2,000 years. And the scripture tells us that we must prepare ourselves. We must be clean. We must be a spotless bride because that's what he's coming back for. The groom had a preparation time also. He spent this betrothal time preparing for the marriage. He had the task of building a home for them to live in on his father's property. Sometimes it was just a room tacked on to the main house. Other times it was a whole home built on the property, depending on the wealth of the father. And he also had the responsibility to tend to the matters of securing their finances and taking care of their future life's financial status. That was the groom's responsibility. Jesus told us, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming again to get you. And there we'll live with him forever. Not only did he prepare a place for us, but he secured our future. The wedding day finally, and then at the appointed time, the father of the groom would say, this is the day. And he would blow the shofar, the trumpet, as the Bible calls it. Gather the wedding party together, and they would form a loud, boisterous, merry processional. And they would march their way to the bride's home to get her. What a day that will be when our Father in heaven says, Son, this is the day. Today's the day. It's time now. Let's go get your bride. And we will hear that trumpet sound. And we will hear the shouts of the joyous processional of the angels and the dead in Christ, the souls of the dead in Christ who are with him. And they fall into line and they follow him and they come with him in the clouds as the Bible says they will do to get us. I read that the father usually chose the midnight hour and that the wedding processional would purposefully stir up dust and dirt along the road on the way to the bride's house so that she couldn't see them coming. She could only hear the noise that they were making. Are you getting this? Is it making any sense? We may not see with our eye because Jesus is coming in the cloud, but we will hear the sounds if we're ready and watching. And of course, she was listening for the sound because she had made herself ready and longing for that moment. And the Bible tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first and be reunited with their souls in the clouds with Jesus. And then it's our turn. Those who are alive and remain on this earth will be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. And in a twinkling of an eye, 
just that fast, the Bible tells us we will exchange these corruptible mortal bodies with incorruptible immortal bodies and we will forever be with the Lord. All things had been made ready and were in order for her to go with her husband. Nothing more needed to be done. The Bible says that Jesus is coming in the clouds. Nothing more for us to do but to listen for the sounds. Oh, the joy. I, I'm getting near the end. For seven days, the bride would stay sheltered in the groom's father's home, away from the groom, until the day of the wedding feast, when the groom would take one of his witnesses to stand guard at the entrance to the bridal chamber. And the groom would go into the bridal chamber and she would become his wife. Then he would send word out to that messenger, go tell all the guests that we're now ready to join the party as a husband and a wife. We're a couple now. Go tell the guests we're coming. And he would remove the veil from off her face and she would emerge into the guests into the reception hall where all the guests were as husband and wife. And they would drink the last of the shared cups of wine together, telling the world, we're now one. The marriage uh, feast, the Jewish marriage feast, lasted seven full days, during which time the guests entertained and gifted the happy couple before sending them off on a 30-day honeymoon to get to know one another better. We're going to be sheltered, just as that bride was, with our bridegroom in heaven, until he says, it's time to go to the new Jerusalem, where we will join in the marriage feast the marriage supper of the Lamb, as the Bible calls it. And you remember Jesus told the disciples before he was crucified, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it with you at that marriage supper. We will share that cup with him at that time, at that marriage supper, and become one with him. I just don't think these beautiful comparisons are by chance. I don't think it's just a coincidence that all these things happened the way they did that parallel with the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, it was by design of the father of the groom. It was by God's design. But our part is to stay ready. Our part is to be listening and watching. Revelation 22:17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. 
and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that's athirst come, and whosoever will let him take the water of the life, the water of life freely. I think I got a word wrong in that, but whosoever comes can take of the water of life freely. And verse 20, my final point. He which testifieth of these things, Jesus says, surely I come quickly. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Aren't you looking forward to that time, that hope, that joy? Oh, I know I am. We want things to be so much better here. And yes, we do. We pray for God's hand of mercy and judgment and all of that to take care of this. But we have a blessed hope in the return of our Lord and Savior. And I just want to say, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, to be your heavenly bridegroom for all eternity, we have a secure, eternal place with him. I would just offer you this chance of a lifetime right now because Jesus said it's getting close. I'm coming quickly. Father, we thank you for these beautiful, beautiful symbols of the plan that you have for your church. And God, I pray that if there is a heart that's listening to this message that has not made a place for them by believing in your redemption of their salvation of their souls, oh God, that they would now, today, make this the day of their salvation and ask you for forgiveness of sins, oh God. And today, the bride, Lord, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, but we say, Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be fully prepared with every preparation having been done so that we're listening and ready for that sound to come. Oh, we ask these things today. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this hope, this blessed hope as it's written in the word. Thank you, Father, and I just ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I would say now, Don, if you want to come, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, I'd love to hear them. Don did a little bit more research this week on the questions that we had last week, and I want him to share that. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, input, anything, this is the time to share it with us, please. I hope this was beneficial to your hearts. It did my heart a whole lot of good to study it out. Well, I, <clears throat> one thing in, in, in considering the story of the end times and revelation and all the prophetic events that are referenced in the Old Testament and the New Testament about the end times and, and, and what we expect and what we look forward to and why 
we take as a church the positions we do on these issues of, for example, the pre-tribulation rapture and the fact that there is a rapture and that there is a tribulation, um, we take the word as it, at its word. You know, when it says that these things are going to happen, there's, there seems to be in the church, and I, when I say church, I mean the broader group of Christians, there seems to be a temptation to take those events and say, well, mm, I guess if you look at what happened, like for example, in the sacking of Jerusalem, that was really bad for the Jews. That really was like a tribulation. Uh, maybe that was it. And if that was it, then maybe Nero was the Antichrist. And writing these things off in a way and looking at past events and, and saying it's, it's done. And when I, I've had that explained to me as a, that combined with a consideration that, well, eventually everyone's just going to be saved by the spreading of the gospel and then Jesus will return. Or, you know, and we're living, for example, some again in the millennial period now. And the problem I have with that is that I see these things written in the scriptures as miraculous, not, not humdrum every day. Well, it's a modulation of current events that if you're looking really, really close, you might perceive. No, we believe in a God that created the whole thing, created the whole thing. And when Jesus died and rose again, Satan was defeated. The book wasn't completely finished at that time, but the end times, everything that was going to be revealed to John through Christ was done. It was all done. It was all settled. And it hasn't all happened yet. There's still so much more to come. And it's not just a another world event, you know, that some will, will read into it as being, well, that was it, that was the tribulation, or that was whatever, you know, no. When, when these things happen, the whole world will know and see and feel the hand of God moving and bringing about, finally, the things that were prophesied and told to us from the beginning and along the way that they were going to be done. And so I, I just can, I, I, I feel bad, you know, for... <laughs> For any who would have to believe that it's already done, like let's say this is the millennium, really? When the lion, lion lies down with the lamb, this is it? No, not, not even close. Because we serve a miraculous God and the word is what the word is and it says what it says and it's going to, it's going to come about. And when it does, there will be no mistaking that this is God and he is moving and this is how he had always said it was going to occur. Uh, Mom is attributing uh, more maybe to my research then uh, is, I did mention to Barbara earlier, because she raised the question last week, because I was reading the New King James, as mom was, was teaching, I was reading the New King James, when it speaks of the, the one who is um, the restrainer, the one who is restraining, when, when he, he who is restraining is taken out of the way, then the, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And that's in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and I think verses like 6 through 8. And in the New King James, he, who is the restrainer, is capitalized, which I read to mean, okay, then he has to be Jesus, the Father, or the Holy Spirit, most likely the Holy Spirit. And it says, when he who is taken out of the way, uh, the, he was restraining is taken out of the way. So I read that, well, then the Holy Spirit is being taken out of the way. 
And then the man of lawlessness is revealed and, and you know, the hearts are hardened and everybody goes astray and embraces this, you know, antichrist. And um, so that's why I studied more on that. Now, I personally, and, and there's commentary that suggests that he is the church. Personally, I don't believe he is the church based on my own research and my own thinking, partly because the church is rarely referred to as a he and also because um, I just don't, I think the church is split in even its belief and understanding about these things and doesn't seem to be commissioned to do this role. Um, now, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit working through the church could be achieving this purpose even without our knowledge, in which case it really is the Holy Spirit. Um, but we do know, as Barbara said, that people will be saved after the rapture. So then the Holy Spirit may not be restraining anymore the man of lawlessness, but certainly is still here and working and acting uh, amongst the people. Because how else are uh, people's hearts and minds changed to a, an understanding and belief in, in faith in Christ? Um, and I've, I've found one more, one more uh, teaching that suggested that he, now again, the New King James capitalizes he, but the, old, the, old, the King James does, doesn't capitalize any of the he's, leaving it a little more wide open. Uh, and so some also suggest that he is Michael the Archangel and refer back to the book of Daniel where Michael, uh, and if you find every place in the Bible where, where Michael the Archangel is, is, um, is mentioned, he is either tangling with the princes of Persia and Greece. Uh, there's a portion in Daniel where it says Michael stood up and apparently that stood up also is interpreted in the Hebrew as stand still. Um, and when he stood up, it said great, great calamities uh, come to the nation um, as, it, as has never been seen before, which is very similar to Matthew 24 and Jesus' description of the tribulation. Um, so in that case, it's possible that it ties Michael the archangel and him essentially standing still as letting the as, as ending a restraining of the, of the man of lawlessness. Um, so Michael, and, and we know that Michael directly in, engages with Satan as well. In any event, he is God and the power of God acting in his will, in his time, and in his way. So ultimately, I don't think it's something to, uh, to get too caught up in because he is, it's, uh, uh, Jesus uh, warned us of the seasons and the events to look for, but Jesus himself didn't know the exact time and date. Only the Father knows, and these things are being brought about in his time and in his will, according to his will. Jesus revealed to John all that he knew in the book of Revelation, and John wrote those things down for our benefit. So that's all I had, in the, and I, I, could, I could run us through a 10-minute video on YouTube about it, but I don't think it's uh, necessary, uh, though... I can give you that reference if you're interested. The scriptures are very interesting. The considerations of Michael and um, the Holy Spirit and, and who may be doing what are interesting. Ultimately, though, it is uh, not exactly definitive from the, the language in the, in the scriptures. Um, but we do know that whoever is restraining the man of lawlessness is doing so at the will and timing of the Lord. And at the time that he chooses, he will step aside and let... Uh, let that process take it take place.
So that is all I had on that. Um, but I think mom also wanted just to open up for questions and, and answers. And if we don't have answers, we will do like we did last week and do the work and get the answers to the best of our abilities. Audrey? Well, I love what verse seven, uh, eight says, which is then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. So nothing to fear. Jesus God has it all under control. And even in the Battle of Armageddon, I mean, talk about the most anticlimactic uh, event where Satan is bound for a thousand years and is finally released again. And after, you know, lawlessness and rebellion had been put down by Christ for a thousand years, as soon as Satan is released, he immediately gathers an army, meaning many of those people who lived under the rule of Christ and had hidden their rebellion and hidden their sin and, you know, essentially went along to get along uh, under the rule of Christ and knowing all the blessings of that actual millennial period of the lion, the lion lying down with the lamb and seeing things as they had intended to be from the beginning will still break from Christ and still break from that truth and pair back up with Satan who's been released. He'll form an army to, to go against God and, and it's God himself who directly just immediately annihilates that, that army and destroys Satan. Um, a lot, of, a lot of build up for a very quick and, and sudden end. And it's amazing that Satan knows these things. He knows the word because he's, he's quoted it to Christ directly, he knows these things, and will still play directly into each and every part of this plan. It is, it is who he is to deceive the nations, and it is who he is to bring as much destruction as he can. And as soon as the restrainer, stops restraining satan will go on a tear and do what satan does um any other sister barbara Yeah, we only know that <clears throat> we only know that the period between the rapture and the beginning of the millennial reign is at least seven years. We don't know that it's not <clears throat> twenty or thirty. We know that there's a seven-year period spoke of. That there's an agreement that is signed that has a definitive period of time, and that three and a half years through, I think it's broken, and. Uh, and so we know there's a minimum of seven years of this tribulation period, but because we don't know when it begins exactly, we don't know uh, exactly how long the period is between the rapture and the second coming. Um, although I think that the probably most uh, pre-tribulation um, believers would believe it's a fairly quick period because... I think the man of lawlessness is revealed just before the rapture. And so there's, you know, it, 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 you've, obvious, you've obviously got the limitation of the lifetime of the man of lawlessness, right? So you've got within a man's life, seven-year minimum, and it's within a man's life. And I, I, I believe that the events of 2 Thessalonians 2 where the man of lawlessness is revealed and the restrainer stops restraining, that from that period to the beginning of the tribulation is, pro it, 
it could be 10 years, it could be five years, it, you know, whatever period of time it takes for that Antichrist to be revealed and then to gain the power that he gains, um, I think most people assume it will be fairly rapid, but it doesn't, it, does, it, it likely isn't the next day, right? It likely isn't immediately. But again, the events of the rapture will be massive in its effect on the earth, right? And probably if we're just, you know, playing left behind, you know, writing the narrative uh, like the books did, likely such a catastrophic event that it opens up a bit of a power vacuum, you know, for somebody to step in and say, let me, get, let me bring you peace, let me bring you comfort. I can explain what's happened. I have the answers. And certainly, I think that's a role the Antichrist is going to play at a time of massive worldwide disruption. What an opportunity for a liar and deceiver to step in and tell those who have been left behind, it's going to be okay. I have the answers. I'm the one you're looking for. If I can just read a paragraph on that, this is in the commentary out of the Dakes Bible. It says, uh, referring to 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7, the church will continue to hinder lawlessness until the rapture and then the Antichrist will be revealed. This is conclusive proof that the rapture takes place before Daniel's 70th week of the tribulation uh, you know, uh, description and the tribulation of Revelation 6, verses 1 through 19. According to Daniel 9.27, the Antichrist will be here for seven years, for he makes a seven-year covenant with Israel. If he's here for seven years, which will be the last seven years of this church age, and if he who hinders lawlessness refers to the church, which, which he says it does, clearly says it does, um, and the church is taken out of the way before he comes, then the rapture will take place before the last seven years of this age and before the Antichrist comes at the beginning of those seven years. So that's, that's I agree with him, and that's where I took the stand on a lot of the things that I did. He also says that the hinderer of the lawlessness in Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2.7. I can't talk this morning. Uh, some say it's this, some say it's that. He says it cannot be governments because they're, they're always here. Can, can't be the Holy Spirit because many will come to Christ during the tribulation by and through the, the working of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be whatever is removed prior to the the. Um, the actions of the Antichrist, which is the church. So I just wanted to, I'll leave that here for you. Yeah, Dake, Dake believes that the restrainer is the church. I disagree, but that's okay. That part is open to interpretation. Um, and I think it, it, his, his logic is understandable. It's using the, the concept of the, the one who restrains being moved, removed. Um, and then you get into interpretations of the word used for removed. Does it mean that it has to be, you know, it's not the same as rapture. So it's a different concept, a different term, but I won't fully argue that. Uh, it, 
Either way, it's God's timing, God's will, and whom God uses to, who, or not uses, has been using all this time to restrain the man of lawlessness. I could, you know, I could argue that that predates the church. But, and Michael could, but Michael's been doing that for a long time, the Holy Spirit even longer. So, um, or actually the Holy Spirit came when Christ went up. How long has the man of lawlessness been out there being restrained? Right, that was the Holy Spirit then. I know that, I, I'm pretty sure that the gentleman that wrote the commentary in this Bible believes that the church is not necessarily the bride, but that the bride are all who are saved. Yeah. Which would, would extend beyond the church, but all who are saved. Um, say that last week in the very beginning of my message that the you know, the saints and the church are all one. We are all uh, believers in Christ making us part of the bride. So I think that's just a, a word play. And, that, you know, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning that these issues that give rise to discussion and confusion because it's not all, you know, easily reconcilable. They, this is part of what I think leads a lot of Christians just to say it's very complicated. It's probably all just symbolic and represents something more general and kind of wash it down to something. Well, maybe it's, they build it into our daily life, you know, and so maybe it's just already happened. Maybe some of these larger events that have already happened are these things that were prophesied in the Bible. Maybe they happened a long, long time ago, you know, because it says he'll come quickly. There are some who believe that Jesus already came a second time, uh, which, my goodness, how depressing is that, you know? Good grief. I mean, it's, it's the same as prophecies and healings and all the rest. If, he, if, the, if God wants to heal our bodies, he can heal us completely. Uh, we don't have to take half a healing, you know? We don't have to take half a deliverance because our God is able to do the whole. And so he is a miraculous and mighty God, and I do truly believe that these events, though we can't understand every detail because, you know, we, we prophesy in part and we know in part, and, and uh, you know, when that which is made perfect comes, we will have no need for these partial things, but we'll see it all and we'll know it all and we'll understand it all, and I'm not Calvinist, so I don't believe that that which is made perfect is the King James Bible. I believe it's Jesus. When he comes, when he returns, when he returns for us, uh, we'll know it all. We'll understand it all. And uh, no more need to bicker at that point or, or disagree or um, guess because it'll be revealed in front of us. Uh, but I do truly believe that the events of Revelation are still to come. Many, um, he spoke to the churches in the first, I believe, like four chapters. But after that, um, three chapters, but after that, um, he's speaking to Israel because I believe at that point the church is raptured and in heaven with him and then there are things to be dealt with with Israel, with the Antichrist covenants to be fulfilled which he will do in his time and any other questions or comments or Sister Nancy One, I think what we need to watch too is the building of the temple the rebuilding of the because that is, a, is going to be a physical thing that we can watch. Now, under caves and in, in the world of Israel, right now they're planning on rebuilding the temple. There are bunches of money and people actually literally working on rebuilding it so they can bring the parts out mm -hmm. and build it. It's pretty exciting what that is, which means that 
when that happened, then, then you know, the Antichrist comes into the temple and does bad things and stuff. So that is going to be a physical thing we can watch. And the other question I have is, the moment when Jesus, uh, when they say, when they say, who is worthy to open the Lamb's book of the, you know, who's worthy to open that book? And there's quiet in heaven for half an hour. And then they realize that it was only Jesus. I'm wondering, did that happen already? Is that a, a, a thing that's going to happen after the rapture, before the rapture, whatever? I'm just wondering, because I was like, I would love to be there. But maybe it's already done. That's something that's been on my heart lately. Well, that's to open the scroll, right? And so uh, you, you have to read through the very first things read from the scroll to understand, because the scroll, it may have already happened, but many of the things read haven't happened yet. So, um, I mean, it may have happened right there in front of John, right? I mean, it, it's, what he, it's what he wrote down. So maybe he saw that happen there in real time. Um, but the things that were read from the scroll, many of you know, haven't happened yet. So, but if John saw it and wrote it down, then I suppose it happened right there, then you know, then and there when he saw it. Unless it was prophetic, yeah. But it could have happened then. I mean, the the the, the prophecies of what were read on the scroll were written down. So. Um, that which was able to be revealed, right? There were some, I think, that he wasn't able to uh, reveal. My guess is that it would be literal happening when John recorded it, when he saw it with his eyes. Because the Bible speaks of the only worthy one being the Lamb of God. You know, even Paul wrote about that. And when Jesus knocked Paul off of his donkey, I'm sure Jesus gave him the whole download of, you know, well, I'm not sure, but I, I would assume because Paul said several times uh, throughout his ministry that the Lord told me this. Or he would say, the Lord didn't tell me this, but I think he would have agreed with this. Anybody else? We don't want to hold you if you don't want to stay, but if you have questions, we'll entertain them. Sister Watson had asked um, at Burger Pit one time, what do I think about, I think it was babies being born during the millennial period, uh, because it says that the children would play with the, the cobras, right, and not be harmed. Um, and... That is, a, that, that is a fascinating aspect of the millennial period that Christ returns with the church to rule and reign, it says, with a rod of iron and to rid the earth of rebellion. And so there you, ha you have mortal people um, living under the reign of Christ and the saints. And it says that, um, I think it says that someone dying at 100 would be, young that they would live live the live the age of trees which can be thousands of years old some of them so um, the description of the millennial period is the, is uh, similar to God's original plan still the same earth still mortal souls 
um, but living longer, you, you know, it's the presence of Christ starts to bring about, you know, changes in the physical, right? Changes in the lifespan of humans, changes in the behavior of animals. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. Just, just the return of Christ himself brings about these physical changes on the earth during this time before uh, the earth is actually renewed with fire and, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's before that happens. Um, that we start to see these physical changes on earth. And there will be um, still people married, children born during this time um, who have the opportunity, of course, to be saved and, and believe in Christ, who's now there in front of them. Audrey? Um, yeah, so this is kind of like a, I don't know if there's Well, yeah, there's a few aspects of the days of Noah that, for as you pointed out, the fact that there were warnings, that there was, um, that the people ignored the warnings and went about marrying and giving in marriage and, and uh, living their lives completely, uh, if not maybe not ignorant, intentionally ignorant of the things of God and the, the commands of God and ignoring God. And then it, it, the, the flood came upon them and they were surprised by it, even given, even given all the warnings. And similarly, I think the rapture will come at a time when you've got the gospel being spread and taught and people warning the earth, you know, be ready, be ready, this is coming, it's going to happen. And, and you know, if it, Christ referenced the days of Noah, it's, there's gonna be a rapture at some point, and at that point, there are gonna be many who are surprised, who aren't ready, who are ignoring it for many, many years. Uh, when it finally occurs. But also, the, like you say, in the days of Noah, Noah, there was, uh, you know, abnormally long life. There was, uh, people were living so long that there were advancements in many areas and many things um, prior to the flood that men lived so long. You know, we wondered how did Noah build the ark? You know, how could he possibly, we think of things as being so primitive in those times, but when people lived a thousand years, Think of the knowledge that you gain in those thousands of years, continu continual, you know, experience over the, that such a long lifespan. There was amazing development. There was the Tower of Babel, I mean, to the point that God put an end to it and said, enough of this man attempting to 
you know, redefine my creation. And even in today's time, we hear of speaking of let's combine computers with brains. You know, that's what they're working on very actively right now. Editing the genes, uh, combining artificial intelligence with the mind to create a more advanced mind, playing with God's creation and attempting to redefine gender, attempting to redefine the very basic building blocks of God cre God's creation. And so, again, like the days of Noah, man is attempting to override the design of God. And so there's plenty of evidence that you could you could say even today reflects in some ways the days of Noah, or it could get worse and, and even reflect it more. I learned this week that the Roman Empire, the people in the Roman Empire forgot how to make concrete. That they had known they had built fabulous structures, that they had invested all this time and money in the advancement and development of a modern culture. And then at some point, they became so relaxed and so indulgent and that the tradesmen who knew these things, who had you know, died off, it wasn't considered important, and that the skills went away, and that at some point the people had forgotten the basics of how to keep the building blocks of their civilization going. So men have many times in the past gone from an advanced understanding and gotten so comfortable that they forgot the basics of how to keep that civilization going. I looked it up, it was true. They actually, the people who knew how to do, build this strong, enduring materials passed away and it wasn't passed on and the younger people didn't care because they didn't think they needed to know it anymore because it had already been done. And how much does that look like our civilization today where the focus is on technology and things so advanced, but the basics, you know, are easily forgotten. Uh, we, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be, uh, you know, the, the second coming of the Roman Empire. Audrey? Um, reflecting back on what Nancy was talking about, about the temple, um, I know that they've um, been training priests, and they've been, yes. um, like, creating all the linen and fogs, and they're, they're getting things ready for the temple. But then I've also been watching City of David archaeology on YouTube, and just, like, to see what they um, dig up and um, there, there is like a museum of some ruins that are next to the Temple Mount, and it's like looking at it, and, sh and she was saying, if you read the book of Psalms, and David says that, the, the, that he's looking from his temple where he's living, and the valley, the mountains are all around him, which doesn't match the Temple Mount, because they're about the, the the mountains are not all around it, but it does match where they're at on the archaeological site that they dug up. So they think that his temple is this other place that they haven't really been thinking. I think it's called City of David, but I don't know. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's over, so. Away. So it might just be revealed that they thought it was that, but it was actually here and it's ready to go. <laughs> Which would be cool. Well, the thing, and what does it matter except for Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come through a certain gate. Yeah. This prophecy where he says he's going to, he's it, he's going to come back and he's going to come through a certain gate. So, so 
it, it, I mean, it really doesn't matter to us because hopefully we'll be raptured, right? <clears throat> and we'll be behind the horse. Yes. You know, the big horse is coming. I'm coming behind the horse and letting and you know him just go <coughs> come through. But he, he, whatever he says, he can always happen. Yes. So we can we can be sure we can watch all these things. Well, more and more of our lives become automated, and more and more, you know, roles and jobs that used to be filled by humans are no longer. Um, and uh, we kind of drift further and further towards forgetting the basics uh, and the you know important things of life, um, producing food and shelter. I mean, these are things that are very basic, and uh, you know I think that's part of Audrey's motivation to have the chickens. She wants the kids to see where do you where does your food come from, and how do how do you go about harvesting those things. Um, I think we're even growing wheat, and I'm not sure I know if we know how to harvest the wheat, but <laughs> we'll see. But these are, these are fascinating things. Um, the, the, the concept that the, the assumption that the temple belonged on the temple on the mount uh, where the, the Muslim mosque is today, I think the, the relevance of that is if they determine it wasn't actually there, they could build it now. If it's going to be built on the Temple Mount, then there's going to be a war of some sort. We know that. So, um, and, uh, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, I think we have to look towards some level of conflict for that to happen because the Muslims aren't going to move off that spot uh, without a fight. Um, but we will see. We will see. Any other comments or questions this morning? I know we're getting right at 1230, so... <laughs> okay heavenly father we thank you for this blessed discussion we just pray that you continue to fill our hearts with knowledge of your word and understanding lord god of your will some of these things we can study out and learn for ourselves and others will be revealed in the future but we trust in your plan we trust in your timing you know what's best lord god you've set aside a time for you to call a people out from this world, Lord God. You've set aside a period. The, the battle is won. The victory is done. We see it. We read it. We understand how it comes about. But you have set a time aside to save souls, a time to, to build a church. And you'll eventually pull that church out from among this world and reveal the remainder of your plan, Lord God. We are so blessed to be a part of your church and blessed to be given, Lord God, the opportunity to tell our loved ones, to tell our neighbors Look to him. The time is short, and there's an opportunity for whosoever believeth upon him to be saved. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I'm also thankful that we know what is pertinent to salvation and what isn't. And a lot of these questions we won't know till we see him. But we know how to get there through him. Amen. <laughs>